If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verse 5. Now, James is over toward the end of the New Testament and comes right after the book of Hebrews, which is a lot, one of the longer of our books. And <clears throat> James chapter 1, James chapter 1, and we're going to read five verses. I couldn't get all of them on the on the board, but um, uh, I will read verses 1 through 5 from the English Standard Version this morning. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials or fall into trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience. Let this steadfastness or patience have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, the idea is fully matured and lacking in no area. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously without reproach and it will be given him. This is James is called James here, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I might just say a word about the book of James and James the author. Um, if you've read much in the New Testament, you know there's two or three different Jameses. There's a James that's a, one of the twelve disciples. He's a son, the son of Zebedee. Him and John are brothers. There's also another uh, James that's one of the disciples. There's two Jameses. Among the disciples. This is called James, the son of Alphaeus. This is in Matthew 10, verse 2 and 3, I think. But there's a third James. This third James is the brother of Jesus, raised in the same house with the same mother. And uh, this James was not a believer, he was not a Christian. Until the resurrection. You remember how when Jesus hung on the cross that it was John standing there that, that Jesus said, uh, Woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. He turned his mother and her care over to John. Well, James was probably the older brother. Why didn't he give, give the mother to James? Well, because James wasn't around. After the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 7 says that Jesus went specifically to James, his brother, and talked to him. And he was converted to Christ by this post-resurrection appearance uh, to James, the brother. And James became not only a Christian, but a dynamic Christian. And you see him, according to Galatians 2, Paul calls him one of the three pillars of the early church. Actually became the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, which you see that in Acts chapter 15. Well, this is the James that is writing this letter, the brother of Jesus, the pastor in Jerusalem. 
And it's interesting that he says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't refer to his earthly or fleshly relationship, but he's the Lord Jesus Christ. His own brother calls him that. And he is a pastor that comes through because there are so many things on his heart and one of them is the hurting people that he pastors. He says in verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. There are different sorts of testings and trials. In this first century, there would have been uh, the trial of famine. Acts eleven twenty eight. A prophet, Agabus, stood up and said, there's going to be a great famine over all the world in the days of Claudius. And that uh, Claudius ruled about 40 to 50 A.D. So economic issues was a trial in this first century. Earthquakes and volcanoes. Mount Vesuvius erupted and covered Pompeii. There were a lot of, lot of strange events in this first century. There were civil wars in Rome. And you remember that we've talked about how Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans so that it was totally devastated. There were persecutions. Uh, Paul and Peter were arrested uh, several times. And James himself that wrote this book was stoned. John was exiled to Patmos. Christians' homes and lands were often confiscated and the Christian was arrested. So this is all first century, unique to the first century, but trials of all kinds. And then there's just regular trials like, well, you, you get sick or your child gets sick or your marriage dissolves or you have a leaky roof or a chariot that won't roll anymore. I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff that's just mundane. And these are the various trials, some unique to the first century, some unique to all of us. Jesus said in John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation. If you're in the world, you will have tribulation. It comes with being here. But if you're in him, you will have peace that comes with being in him. Now, the, so the, what I want to speak to you about this morning is how to respond to these trials that all of us go through at one time or another, some more severe than others. But here's the first thing I want to say. I was surprised by what James, the pastor, said we should do about them. Look at this again in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And what really surprised me about this was the word in verse 2, count it all joy. What's surprising is that it's not the usual word for to count something as a joy or reckon it so. There is a, word, a Greek word for that, but it's not used here. This word means to govern. 
It means to lead. It's often translated by the word rule. And I thought, why, why is it translated here? Count it all joy. It's, it's the word itself, ago, in Acts 7 verse 10, talks about how Pharaoh made Joseph the ruler or governor of Egypt. And that's the word used here. Rule it all as joy. Govern it all as joy. The idea seems to be this, that your attitude toward trials is to govern it. Take authority and be in charge of those trials. Now, not that you are responsible for the trial, but you are to be in charge of what it does to you, the effect that it has on you. We've all known people who've gone through trials and they get bitter or engage in self-pity. By the way, I can tell you that uh, self-pity is not only useless, but it leads to, if you take a first step of self-pity, your second step will be depression. It always leads to depression. I've, I've taken those steps enough to know that. <laughs> and self-pity, depression, you can decide not the trial or how long it lasts, but what impact that it has on your life, on your attitude, and on your heart. You're not in charge of your suffering, but James says you are to govern its effect. That's why this word here uh, is, is translated almost everywhere else as rule or govern or be in charge of, take authority over, and that it be met joyfully. Let me just add this. The, he's speaking to the brothers here. Count it all joy, my brothers. He's talking to Christians. Trials of life for Christians are not punishments from God. You know why? Because Jesus took all the punishments that we deserved and were due. Therefore, the trials of life are not punishments from God. We are to view them not as God being mad at us, but another reason. And James gives that to you here too. Notice how we are to take charge of these and govern them. In uh, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Verse 3, four You know something. What do you know? These trials produce a steadfastness. Now there the word uh, hupomeno. Hupo is under and meno means to abide or to, to stand up to, to be resilient. It means to the ability to endure, be reliable, be faithful, And it was used of a ship when they take a ship and they could plug up all the holes and load it down and it would stay, it would still float under the pressure. Any pressure you put on it or storm that it went through, that was 
That's the word that is used here. The idea is it's now ready. It's now finished. In fact, the word perfect here is the Greek word telos. And some of you know, we've mentioned this several times before, that that's the word that Jesus used in John 19.30 when he says, it is finished. That's the word telos used here as perfect. It means the idea that you are now fully prepared, fully grown up. You are, you have reached maturity and ready for God's task that he's assigned you. Ready for life. Ready to get married. Ready to have children. Ready to raise those children. Uh, ready to meet suffering. Ready to give testimony. Ready to fulfill your calling and assignment from God. That's what suffering will do for you. And uh, he connects suffering with the preparation for being, for carrying out God's assignment. So let me give you this key thought here. Here's, Here's my key thought. Based on this word that you can count it joy because you know that this trial of your faith produces this hupomeno, this ability to carry the load, fulfill your task. Therefore, our suffering is significant because it equips us for the task which God has assigned us. Our suffering equips us for the task. Like that ship, it is now equipped to sail and carry the load and endure the storms. So that is what he says, you're to count it joy because this is what happens in your life. This is what you come to. It's connected to our purpose. And I want to read to you an example from the Apostle Paul. Paul had many revelations, uh, great teachings that God showed him. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these great revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made complete or perfect in your weakness. See, Paul was in danger of becoming conceited because of all that God had taught him. But to keep him useful, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. And it humbled him. It reminded him of his mortality. We forget how temporary we are. A guy was in the hospital. He thought for minor surgery. And they always place this special, specially designed screen around those awaiting surgery. The screen meant that you, are, you must prepare them to die. They have only perhaps a few hours. And as he was laying there and his eyes were closed and they brought that screen and put it around him. And when he woke up, he saw that screen. He thought, 
I'm going to die. They have screened me. I've got a few hours. And he began to call on God. And then a nurse came in and said, you know what, I'm I'm so sorry, but this was for the guy two doors down. So they moved the screen down. (laughs) But while he was in that state, he found the Lord. Confessed his sins to God, got right with God and started serving God. To be reminded of our mortality. Sometimes God does that for us. Here, James says that this suffering is connected to our purpose, connected to our calling. Now look at verse uh, 5. I've often looked at these verses and thought, what does verse 5 have to do with verse 2 and 3 on suffering? Suddenly, uh, James says, um, uh, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Why does he put that there? Right after these verses on suffering, and now we're to count it joy. And I think it's because of this. Trials often produce a kind of uncertainty, even chaos, panic. And James is saying, rather than experience this panic, not sure what you should do next, have you ever gone to the doctor, and perhaps it's even been serious, and, and one doctor tells you this, I had a uh, fasciitis on the bottom of, of my foot, still do. And one doctor said, I'm going to give you steroids. And by the way, he did give them to me, and that's why I'm so muscular today. But, and then, but another doctor, I was in for a, a, a different issue with another doctor, and the, this doctor said, Oh, steroids, that's the big guns. You never give steroids for a sore foot. Two different doctors, two totally different opinions. Did you know you can get that from the experts? People who love you. You have something, some issue in your life, perhaps marriage or health or whatever. One person who loves you will tell you one thing. Another person who loves you will tell you something else. So it's, it's typical of suffering and trial to be confused. I don't know what to do. James tells you what to do and who to go to. Verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. A simple prayer to God who gives generously to all. I put a circle around that word all because that includes me. He gives generously to all. God knows what to do. And we ask him and he promises that he will reveal it to us. One way or another, he will get to us the direction to go. So James, being the pastor that he is and having a pastor's heart, he lays that out before them. Let suffering take you to God, not away from God. And that's the meaning of verse 5. Now, let me put the summary together here for you. How do we respond to trials? Put these, uh, put the summary up here. And here's what I glean from Pastor James here. First, we respond to trials by 
taking charge of those trials, knowing that you can govern the effect they have on your life. Can't govern the trial, but you can govern the impact and keep it from making you bitter or despairing. Number two, we respond to trials by realizing that they are good for us in equipping us for the task God has given us. I read a book one time by an old preacher, an old Nazarene preacher, and the title of the book was Don't Waste Your Sufferings. And that, I think, is what James is saying here. Don't waste your sufferings. And then number three, we respond to trials by going to a generous, gracious God in prayer instead of living in anxiety and confusion. Paul put it this way. This is a great verse. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful alternative the Christian is given here in dealing with the trials of life. We've been studying Job on Wednesday nights, and I actually uh, did not realize several of these things, but do you know that Job ends up not only uh, with 10 more children, which he says God blessed him and gave him 10 children. Hello out there. Some of you need to get to work. Let God bless you. But also restored all of his wealth. And you know how long he lived after the book of Job is finished, after all the trials, how long he lived? A hundred and forty years of happiness and blessedness. This is after the book of Job and the trials of Job. And so when you come to the end of James, the pastor James puts this verse together, James 5, 11. Um, he says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. For you've heard of Job and seen the purpose of the Lord, or the end, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You have seen the conclusion. Where is God going? He's going to compassion and mercy. That's where he's headed. So in your trial, trusting God, looking to him, knowing that like Job, you may have a hundred years of blessing, compassion, and mercy in your future. We don't know how long he'll give us, but we do know that's where God's headed. I counsel you today with the words of this pastor James, turning to God, trusting him, and letting him fill your spirit with his Holy Spirit so that we are in charge of our suffering and that it does not 
It is not in charge of us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this pastor's wisdom as given by your Holy Spirit. I pray today that we might follow this, be reminded of it in days to come. Whether we are in trials now or in trials later, we ask you to help us look to you for wisdom and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.